0: Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu How are you all doing? Nahmaduhu wa nusalli ala rasulihi al-kareem Amma ba'ad fa'a'udhu billahi min ash-shaytani rajeem Bismillahirrahmanirrahim Rabbish rahli sadri wa yasirli amri Wahlul uqdata min lisani yabqahu qawli Rabbana zidna ilma So in our last class we learned about What issue? The issue of the The najasa from the dogs, right? Inshallah, today we're going to learn about what invalidates wudu. There is generally a lot of confusion amongst people about what is it that breaks wudu and what does not break wudu. And even if people are a little sure about something, there's still some kind of doubt about what nullifies wudu and what does not nullify wudu. So, Inshallah, with these uh, hadiths that we will study today as well as some of the asas, some of the statements of the companions as well as the scholars who came later, this will Inshallah clarify a lot of misconceptions that we may have, or a lot of doubts that we may have, inshallah. Bab chapter: مَنْ لَمْ يرى إِلَّا مِنَ الْمَخْرَجَيْنِ مِنَ Bab chapter: من who meaning the opinion of those who لم يرى, who did not see meaning who did not see necessary who did not believe that it was required to do what al wudu to perform wudu. Illa except in the case when minal muhrajay, meaning when something is excreted from where? From the two passages, which passages? Minal qubuli wa from the front and the back passage, meaning the opinion of those people who believe that wudu is only nullified when something is excreted from the two passages, meaning from the front passage and the back passage, when a person does urine or when a person. Use the washroom, then only then wudu is nullified. So, in other words, their opinion is that if a person bleeds, then his wudu will not break. Why? Because it's just a cut on your hand, on your arm, so your wudu will not break by just the flowing of the blood from your body. Likewise, if a person throws up, does that nullify wudu? No, it does not. Because they say that wudu only breaks when something is excreted from these two passages. And this is why some scholars have even said that washing the dead body, that does not nullify wudu. Likewise, sleep, and we learnt about the different types of sleep. One is heavy sleep and the other is light sleep. So light sleep does not break wudu, but heavy sleep, it does. Likewise, mas'ud-dakar, touching the private part, even that does not nullify wudu, according to many scholars. And according to other scholars, you know, touching the women even. Obviously, when it's um, sexual intercourse, that's different, but just physical contact with a woman, with a Muslim woman. Like for example, your husband shakes your hand or your father shakes your hand. That does not mean that their wudu has broken because some scholars are of the opinion that the mere touching of a woman nullifies the wudu. So this principle, it shows that nothing breaks wudu except when something is excreted from the private parts. And inshallah, we will learn about all of these issues Some of them we have learned earlier in the Qur'an, in the tafsir. For example, when it comes to touching of the private part, there are two apparently conflicting reports. One report shows that when a person touches a private part, then wudu has to be performed again. And another report shows that it does not need to be repeated again. So how do you understand that if it is done out of desire and as a result something is excreted from the body, then wudu will be nullified. But the mere touching does not. So for example, if a person is washing a child, okay, after they use the washroom. So when you wash a child, obviously you're fine, okay. But if a person touches themselves, then as a result, something is excreted from the body, then wudu will be nullified. But otherwise it will not be nullified. Okay. So the basic principle is what? Wudu will only be nullified when there is some evidence, when there is some delil. When there is no delil, then Wudu will remain You do not need to repeat wudu So there's two things That we can summarize This whole discussion into That first Wudu will only be nullified When When There is some Dalil Okay When there is some dalil So hadas In other words Does not happen Except with Dalil shari And The second thing is That it cannot be removed Except with Dalil shari Meaning When is it that wudu is required And when is it that ghusl is required And when is it that mere washing is required Okay وَقَوْلِ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى And the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala أَحَدٌ منكم من الغائط. What's the evidence of this group of scholars And amongst them was also Imam Bukhari That the evidence is the statement of Allah أَحَدٌ مِنْكُمْ من الغائط. This is in Surah maidah Ayah number 6 This is the verse of tayammum And the four reasons which are mentioned When tayammum is to be done Are which ones? First of all in kuntum marta, Sickness So when a person is sick, he is unable to perform wudu. Like for example, a person has a wound on their body. If they wash that particular area, then that wound is going to get infected. It's not going to heal. So in that case, what should a person do? If it's a significant portion of the body that is affected, then they will just do tayammum. Secondly, travel. A person is traveling U Allah safarin, a person is traveling, he does not find water, then in that case what will he do? Tayammum. The third reason that's mentioned is jaa Ahadum Min al Or one of you has used the washroom. Meaning they went, used the washroom, they urinated or otherwise, and as a result their wudu has been nullified. And the fourth is meaning Janab, sexual intercourse, ritual impurity. That requires wudu. So what's the evidence that wudu is only necessary when something has been excreted from the two passages? What's the evidence? This verse. Okay, this verse. Because wudu is only needed in these cases, right? So this means that if a person throws up or he bleeds, he cuts his hair or his nails, okay, has their tooth removed, then do they need to repeat wudu? No. Does their wudu break? Not at all. وَقَالَ عَطَاءٌ and Ata said Feman concerning who? Yahruju, it comes out minduburihi from his back passage a dudu. Dud is a worm and it happens sometimes that a person's body is literally infected in the sense that there are worms on the body. There may be various reasons, but it happens. Sometimes the worms are actually in the stomach. In the intestines So they do come out of the back passage eventually So in that case If some worms do come out of the back passage أَوْ مِنْ Or from his private part The male private part نَحْوُ القملتي, نَحْوَ Similar to Equivalent to الْقَمْلَةِ A louse Meaning something like a louse Comes out of the private part Then this person has to يُعِيدُ الْوُضُوءَ He has to repeat the wudu Why? Because something has come out of the front or back passage. So in other words, whether it is impurity, natural impurity, okay, urine, stool or gas, when that is emitted or even otherwise something comes out, then in any case, what has to be done? Wudu has to be performed. So basically it is excretion, something coming out of the private part. Something coming out of the private part. That requires wudu. Why do you think so? Why do you think so? In this case, this is not in a person's control. Like if a worm or something comes out, it's not in a person's control. Why? Because obviously when it's going to come out of that part, it is going to have some kind of filth on it. Your intestines are not 100% clean. Even if a worm or something like that comes out, then it will come out with some kind of filth. So this is the reason why wudu will have to be repeated. وَقَالَ جَابِرُ Abdullah. And Jabir ibn Abdullah, he said, إِذَا ضحك, When he laughed, meaning when a person laughed, فِي الصلاة, In the prayer, then what does he have to do? Aada الصَّلَاةَ He has to repeat the prayer. وَلَمْ And not يُعِد He should repeat الوضو, The wudu. So if a person laughs in his salah, then the salah will break, but will the wudu break? No. Because some consider that laughing in salah also nullifies wudu. Okay, there is a report in which it is mentioned that a person, he laughed in his salah and he was asked to repeat his wudu and his prayer, both. So because of that, some scholars thought that wudu is also nullified by laughing in the prayer, but that's not the case. Because if he was asked to repeat his wudu, it could have been because of, you know, committing that sin of laughing in the prayer to make him realize the seriousness of what he had just done. Like if, if you are told to do something, to repeat an action from the beginning all over again, then it's a serious punishment. right? It's a serious punishment. For example, if you take a test and you make mistakes in only one particular passage or one section of the test, but because you did not get 80% marks, you were told to repeat the entire test. No, you can't just have the option of, of being tested on only the root letters or the singular plurals. No, you have to take the entire test all over again. So likewise, it was a form of punishment to teach a lesson to the people. So, walam يُعِذِ wudu. So in other words, laughter does not break wudu. وَقَالَ الْحَسَنِ And Hassan said, إِنْ أَخَذَ If a person took min شعره from his hair alfarihi or his nails, meaning he trimmed his hair or his nails, or خلّع he removed خفّيه his leather socks. Then فلا وضوء عليه, Then there is no wudu for him. He does not need to repeat wudu because the person may wonder when I performed wudu, my nails were longer. Okay, and after wudu, if I trimmed my nails now, a part of the nails is being exposed that was not exposed before. Okay, so technically, that small amount of area was not washed before. You could say that. But remember I told you once before that it's a very insignificant portion. It's a very small amount. It's not much at all. So likewise, if a person trims their nails or their hair, then they don't need to repeat wudu. Likewise, if a person removed their leather socks, then they don't need to repeat their wudu. But if they had done mash on the socks, let's say they performed wudu. They had their wudu while they put their socks on. While they had their socks on, they broke their wudu. So they did wudu again. And instead of removing the socks, they did, just did masjh on the socks. Now if they remove the socks, now what? Now what? That wudu is gone. So then they have to repeat the wudu. This is in the case where a person has wudu. Okay, from when he wore the socks. وَقَالَ أَبُوْ هُرَيْرَةَ And Abu Huraira said, لَا Wudu إِلَّا مِن حدث. No wudu except from hadas, meaning a person does not need to perform wudu except on account of hadas. What is hadas? To excrete impurity. Hadatha literally means to happen. So hadas is when impurity comes out of the body. So when that happens, only then a person needs to perform wudu. وَيُذْكَرُوا And it was mentioned on Jabirin, on the authority of Jabir. أَنَّ Nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, kana he was fi in ghazwati, the battle of ذات الرقاع, the battle of ذات الرقاع. فَرُمِيَ So he was shot at, who رَجُلٌ, a man, a man was shot with what? Bisahmin, with an arrow. A man was shot with an arrow, فَنَزَفَهُ الدَمُ And the blood poured, it came out profusely, meaning he bled a lot. Obviously, if a person is shot with an arrow, it's not a small wound. It's it's not a small cut. So he bled profusely. فَرَكَعَ وَسَجَدَ And the man, he continued in his salah, he performed his rukur, and he also performed his sajda. وَمَضَى And he continued في صلاته in his prayer. He was bleeding in the prayer, and he did not break his salah. So what does that mean? That if you bleed, that does not nullify your wudu. This incident, Ibn Ishaq has narrated this incident in great detail. We learned that once the Prophet ﷺ went for an expedition, and in the night they camped at a particular place in a valley. And when they were staying there for the night, the Prophet ﷺ asked that who would guard us tonight? So a man from the Muhajirin stood up, and another man from the Ansar stood up to volunteer so that they could guard the rest of the people in the night. They were taking turns in sleeping. And in, in watching out for the enemy. So it was the Muhajir's turn to sleep and the Ansari man, it was his turn to stay awake and guard. And when he was up, he didn't just sit there, okay, but he started praying Salah. And he started praying Salah and he was reciting Suratul Kahf when all of a sudden he was shot by an arrow. He continued his prayer. He just pulled out the arrow. And he continued his prayer And you can imagine When the arrow was pulled out How much he must have bled And then he was shot again And again Three times But he completed his prayer His rukur His sujood And when he finished his prayer It is then When his other companion Woke up And when he woke up And he saw all that blood He said Why didn't you wake me up And he said That I was reciting the surah The verse And I wanted to complete it So he didn't even Break his salah He didn't even Scream or yell or show any reaction, he just kept on praying. Because when a person is really involved in that act of worship, whatever act of worship it is, then he forgets about the pain that he's experiencing. You could be sick otherwise, you could be feeling a lot of pain otherwise, but the moment you start reciting the Quran or the moment you start, you know, praying Salah, then you, it's easier for you to deal with the pain. There was a, a companion who had to have his limb amputated because it had to be amputated for whatever reason. And obviously, there was no anesthesia, nothing like that at that time. And he said, let me pray. And while I'm praying, you cut it off. Because then I will be able to have sabr. And this is a reality. Many times when people are in pain, they don't know what to do. And their pain becomes unbearable for them because they're not Occupying themselves But if you busy yourself Your mind Then it will be easier for you To deal with the pain It will be easier for you To bear the pain Many times it happens that Young women when they're having their period You know they just lie down And they do nothing But the thing is that You have to get up You have to move around You have to busy yourself Because the more you sit with your pain The more painful it will become Likewise, women when they become pregnant, many times it happens that they're overcome by their sickness and I always tell them that, look, busy yourself. Busy yourself. If you stay at home, you lie in bed, then you'll stay in that condition and you'll be able to do nothing. So it's very true. It's through experience. It's, you know, this example even shows when your mind is busy in something that is more important to you, then it will be easier for you to tolerate the pain. So this companion... He was praying when an arrow was shot at him. He pulled out the arrow three times. The blood was flowing profusely from his body. And he did not break his salah. So that means that bleeding does not nullify your wudu. illa al So when a person has khushur, then every difficulty, every challenge becomes easier. If a person is bleeding, that does not nullify their wudu. When it comes to menstrual blood, that is different. In that state, a woman cannot even pray. So it's quite understood that when it comes to menstrual blood, obviously that will invalidate the wudu. Inshallah, we will learn about incision. Even that does not nullify wudu. So whether you're donating blood or it was because of a cut or a wound, it doesn't matter. When it comes to menstrual blood, we know that will definitely break wudu because that is a state of impurity in which a woman cannot pray. So even if she performs wudu, that wudu is, does not carry any meaning. Okay. Because she is bleeding. But when it comes to the other bleeding, like, uh, for example, istihadah, then even that is impure because it's coming from, from that same place. And we know that such a woman, what she has to do is that she needs to either combine the prayers and do ghusl before performing salah or Perform fresh wudu Because that will nullify her wudu So you're in the middle of performing wudu You need to go use the washroom again Or you pass wind Then do you have to start all over again? Yes you do Because whatever comes out of the two passages That will nullify the wudu So whatever wudu you have so far has been cancelled out So you have to start all over again Yes, go ahead Removing the hair means also like waxing when you yeah. need to waxing. So yeah. it's okay. Yeah, same thing. Whether it is by waxing or by cutting with scissors or whatever, when hair is cut, that does not break your voodoo. Okay, trimming nails, that does not break voodoo. Now, this also shows that blood, human blood is not impure. I'm not talking about menstrual blood. I'm talking about the other blood. That is not unclean. It is not impure. Rather, it is... Tahir. So whether it is coming out of your skin, it's on your skin, or it is on your clothes, it doesn't matter. It does not matter because it tahir. it is clean. If it was unclean, then the moment it starts coming out of your skin, then your wudu will break. You would not be allowed to pray in that condition. You would have to wait for the bleeding to stop, wash off all the blood, change your clothes, only then you could pray. But from these reports, we see that it does not invalidate wudud, whether it's on your skin or on your clothes, it does not matter. But it's best that a person does wash it off, okay? Why? Because it does not look nice. It does not give a clean feeling, alright? Blood in itself does not give a clean feeling at all. So, we know that in salah we should keep ourselves as clean, as neat as possible, as presentable as possible. So this is the reason why It should be washed off But if that's not possible Like for example There is a wound And it is bleeding continuously And you say that Before I go to the emergency I might as well pray Maghrib Salah So the blood is still coming out You will pray in that state Whether it's on your clothes Or on your skin It doesn't matter And with regards to menstrual blood Obviously that has to be washed off From the clothes And it also has to be Washed off from the body And only then A woman can pray what about the blood of animals there are two types of animals those animals which are halal they are tahir okay and the other animals which are not tahir. halal meaning allowed for consumption and also for animals that you keep at, at farms such as donkeys and horses and camels and so on and so forth so hmm? domestic right but this is bahimatul an'am okay because domestic animals i mean others could have a different definition of that so bahimatul an'am okay their blood and the blood of those animals which are not bahimatul an'am when it comes to those animals which are not halal their blood obviously will be impure okay so a dog a cat a pig whatever but when it comes to bahimatul an'am their blood there are different types of blood you can say one is that blood which comes out of the animal at the time when the animal is being slaughtered That is daman masfuhan, spilled blood. Is that halal for consumption? Daman masfuhan? No. In the Quran, we know that spilled blood is haram. So this is why some scholars have said that that blood will be impure. So for example, if there is a man, he is slaughtering an animal, and the blood is on his clothes, on his hands, then what does he have to do? He has to wash that off. But if it's only a small amount, Very very small amount Then some scholars have been lenient in that case That it doesn't matter So it depends on the quantity Then the second kind of blood Is that which has remained in the animal After being slaughtered So the animal was slaughtered The blood was drained But you know that when you buy the meat from the butcher shop There's still blood Right? Or when you're cooking There's still blood So let's say a person works at the butcher shop and I'm sure you've seen many people working at the butcher shop and you see that their aprons and sometimes even their clothes have blood on them. Not that they're slaughtering the animals but they're handling large amount of meat. So as a result, blood does happen to come on their clothes. Now that blood, that is not unclean. It is Tahir. Okay, it is Tahir. Likewise, let's say you got the meat home and you were cooking it. Before you could put it in the pot The blood splattered onto your clothes So is that okay? Yes it's okay You don't have to wash it off But other scholars have said that If the quantity of the blood is a lot Like it's all over your clothes Then you should But if it's a little bit only Then it does not matter So the quantity also matters So first of all what matters is The kind of animal Secondly the type of blood And thirdly The quantity. All these three things matter. Wudu obviously will not break. okay? Wudu will not break. But if the blood has come onto your body, we're talking about whether the blood is clean or not. okay? So when it has come onto your body, then do you have to wash it or not? If it's come onto your clothes, do you have to wash it off or not? Can you pray in that state or not? That's the question. okay? This is a tangent that I've gone on to. وَقَالَ الْحَسَنُ And Hassan said, مَا زَالَ الْمُسْلِمُونَ mazala he did not cease meaning they always used to they continued to who the muslimun the muslims yusalluna they would pray fi jirahatihim in their wounds meaning the muslims would continue to pray salah in their wounds now these days you know if a person has a cut a wound that is bleeding profusely i mean due to the different types of medication and procedures that are that are available today you can stop the bleeding but Back then if a person had a cut or a wound And it's bleeding Sometimes it would bleed for days Remember when Umar رضي الله When he was attacked He bled for several days Before he passed away So if the blood is coming out of the body for days And likewise it's possible that you have a wound You know it starts to heal But then again it starts to bleed Right So in that case We see that it's completely fine Okay It's completely fine to pray In that state While the blood is coming out and we know that Umar رضي الله He bled in the salah And he thought that a dog had bitten him In the prayer He didn't even realize that somebody had Stabbed him with a dagger And afterwards also He was alive for several days after He prayed but he was bleeding in that state So this shows that a person Can pray in the state While blood is flowing out of his body And this is a huge blessing Because when it comes to bleeding It's not in your control it's not in your control. Now imagine if your wound is bleeding, bleeding, it's not stopping, then if you wait for it to stop, you might miss your salah. وَقَالَ طَوُوسِ And Tawus said, وَمُحَمَّدُ ابن علي, and Muhammad ابن عَلِي وَعَطَاءٌ and وَأَهْلُ الْحِجَازِ And the people of Hijaz, meaning the scholars, the fuqaha of that area and Hijaz is, Arabia, Makkah, Medina, this whole area is known as Hijaz. The scholars of that area and these scholars in particular who mention mentioned over here, they said, لَيْسَ dami wudu'un. Wudu is not required when there is blood. Meaning when blood is coming out of a person's body, he does not need to perform wudu. Wa'asara, And he squeezed, he pressed. Remember the word, وَفِيهِ in Surah Yusuf. So wa'asara, And he squeezed Ibn Umar, Abdullah ibn Umar رضي anhu A pimple. فخرج منها and it came out of it الدم the blood ولم يتوضح, and he did not perform wudu so this shows that whether it is blood that is excreted or there is pus or some other kind of liquid it doesn't matter what matters is excretion from the private parts if something excretes from there that will nullify wudu anywhere else it does not nullify wudu وبزق, and he spat he spittled who? Ibn Abi Aufa, a companion. Daman blood. So when he spat, what came out of his mouth was blood as well. fi Salatihi and he continued in his prayer. He did not break his Salah. Sometimes it happens that the gums are bleeding or whatever, then if you spit out the blood is coming out, then your wudu does not break. Okay? You do not have to repeat wudu again. So whether that blood is coming out of your mouth or some other part of the body, there is no need to repeat the wudu. And Ibn Umar said, well, hasan, and also hasan, مَنْ concerning the one who yahtajimu. What is yahtajimu? From hijama. That the one who has hijama done, okay, who uh, gets cupping done, laisa alayhi, there is not on him illa except ghaslu, the washing of mahajimihi, the places of So the places where the incision was made For wet cupping Where the blood was coming out from Only that area the person needs to wash He does not need to perform wudu Now again Why wash off the blood? Because the blood is unclean? No, not because the blood is impure But because it doesn't look nice It doesn't look pleasant at all Right? A person doesn't feel clean If there is blood on the skin or on the clothes You don't have that feeling of cleanliness So this is why it's best to wash it off But if for some reason a person is not able to do so Then can he pray in that state? Yes he can There is absolutely no harm So this shows that Even if an incision is made in the body For some blood test For injection or whatever Even that does not nullify a person's wudu Let's say you had a cut okay, But there's no blood coming out It happens sometimes, right? So do you have to perform wudu? No you go to the doctors to have a blood test done. Do you have to, or to get your vaccinations? Do you have to do wudu again? No, you don't. So the only thing that nullifies the wudu is the excretion of something from the private parts. Now the ahadith. Adam Abi قال حدثنا أبي ذئب عن سعيد al عن أبي هريرة قال he قال صلى الله the Messenger of Allah s.a.w. said لا يزال العبد لا يزال He does not cease to be Meaning he continues who العبد, The servant في صلاة In the state of prayer The servant continues to be in the state of prayer ما كان As long as he was في المسجد In the masjid ينتظر الصلاة Awaiting the prayer so as long as a person is in the masjid waiting for the salah to start, for the next salah to come in, he is as though in the state of prayer. He is as though in the state of prayer. So at that time, what should a person do? Hmm? When you're in the state of prayer, then you should busy yourself in doing dhikr, or reciting Qur'an or praying external wafil until the time begins. Malam Yuhadis as long as he does not have Hadas As long as wudu does not break. So Abu عنه he was narrating this hadith فَقَالَ رَجُلٌ so a man he said أَعْجَمِيٌ and that man was أَعْجَمِي meaning he was a non Arab, so he did not understand Arabic completely. So he asked him Mal Hadasu, what is Hadas? Ya Bahura O Abu Huraira? qala Abu hurairah He replied, الصَّوْتُ The sound. يعني الدرطة, Meaning, passing wind. So, as long as a person is in the masjid waiting for the salah, he is as though in the state of prayer, as long as he does not have hadas. What hadith Meaning, as long as he does not pass gas. So, what does this hadith show to us? What nullifies wudu? Passing wind. That Breaks wudu So in other words Something excreted from The two passages Whether it's urine, stool, wind Or The coming out of a worm Or something like that Even that will nullify the wudu And Just a a small point over here That is necessary to be mentioned Is that if a person happens to be in the masjid And They happen to pass gas Then it is not something that is sinful But it is something that is against the etiquette Because we know that In the masjid when a person comes He should avoid eating onion, raw onion or garlic. Why? Because of the smell, right? The angels, they don't like it. The people, the worshippers over there, they don't like it. So person should control himself. They should leave the area. They should go to the washroom and not do this in the masjid. But if it does happen, then remember that a person is not sinful. Haddathana abu walidi qala haddathana ibn uyayna an il zuhriyi, ibn tamimin, an ammihi, an il nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam qal la yansarif hatta yasmaa sautan aw yajidarihan. La yansarif, meaning a person should not go away, he should not break his salah, he should not go away from the saf. Hatta until yasmaa sautan, he hears a sound, aw yajidarihan, or he finds some smell. In other words, this will nullify do What? Passing of wind. And what's the proof of that? That passing of wind has happened? That a person will either hear a sound or he will find some smell. Because otherwise it could be the waswas of shaitan as well. okay قُدَيْبَةُ بْنُ سَعِيدٍ قَالَ جَرِيرٌ عَنِ الْأَعْمَشِ عَنْ السَّوْرِيِّ عَنْ مُحَمَّدٍ الْحَنَفِيَّةِ قال قال علي Ali رضي الله عنه said كنت رجلا مذّى I was a man who was madha meaning who would have a lot of madhi فاستحييت so I was shy and أسأل رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم to ask the prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم because he was a son-in-law so he was embarrassed he was shy of asking about whether or not the excretion of madhi breaks wudu فأمرت المقداد بن الأسود I asked المقداد ibn Aswad to ask on my behalf. فسأله, so he asked him, فَقَالَ So the Prophet صلى said, فِيهِ alwudu." If a person excretes madhi, then for that he has to do wudu'. وَرَوَاهُ شُعْبَةُ عَنِ الْأَعْمَشِ. So in other words, madhi will also nullify wudu'. I mentioned to you the different types of discharges once before in kitabul because we have done this hadith earlier. The three types are mainly money, madhi, and the vaginal discharge that women have, money is the semen, the sperm, okay, and that is excreted when there is desire and it has certain characteristics which I've mentioned to you before. And on its excretion, ghusl is mandatory because a person is in the state of then. But money itself is tahir. Itself it is tahir. Why? Because that is from what the human being is created from. Okay, So it itself is Tahir. So if it does end up on the clothes or on the sheets, then it does not need to be washed off. The second type is Madhi. And what is Madhi? It is clear and thin discharge, which is emitted when feeling desire. Okay, When feeling desire. Sometimes a person does not even realize that it has been emitted. It may be a lot. It may be very little. Some people may not have it at all. Others may have it frequently. The difference between Madhi and Mani is that Madhi is outside of Sexual pleasure okay. Money is only On sexual intercourse And madhi is otherwise as well And madhi Remember that it is somewhere it, Its ruling is between Urine and money If you remember this It will become very easy for you to understand Its ruling is between urine and Money How? That urine When it comes When it does splatter on clothes And the clothes have to be Washed off thoroughly But money does it have to be washed off? Money does it have to be washed off? No But madhi is in the middle What does that mean? That it has to be sprinkled on Water has to be sprinkled on it It doesn't need to be thoroughly washed But it just has to be sprinkled on So in this hadith, what do we see? That madhi, it does invalidate wudu But when it comes onto the clothes and a person just needs to sprinkle water on it And when it comes to other vaginal discharge That women have then that is also tahir. It does not need to be washed off and it does not even nullify wudu. Obviously, when it comes to menstrual blood, that is different. This hadith also shows us a very important lesson and that is asking someone else to ask on your behalf. Can you do that? Yes, you can. And this could be in any matter. You know, you have a request to make from your mother or from your teacher or from your boss and you're shy or you don't have the confidence or you feel that you might not get the right answer because of who you are. Right? That the answer may be biased. You might have that misconception. Okay? You might have that feeling. So in that case, what should you do? Ask someone else to ask on your behalf. But only ask the one who can understand your question and also the answer that will be given. Okay? So for example, if you send a child, go ask so and so for, for something for me. Okay? And the child is, they go and by the time they go there, they forget or they ask something let's say they ask for food and they end up eating over there whatever food was sent for you they eat a, they eat it themselves so make sure whatever you whoever you send with your question they actually understand your question and they also understand the answer that is given hadathana ibn shayban an yahya an salama anna ataa ibn yasar akhbarahu anna ibn khalid akhbarahu sa'ala usman ibn affan anhu qultu I said, who? Who? Zayd ibn Khalid. Because Zayd ibn Khalid, he is asking Uthman, radi'llahu anhu. And then, whatever he asked him, he narrated that afterwards. So, Zayd ibn Khalid, he said that, I said to who? Uthman, Araita have you thought about? Have you, do you know? Ida jam'a when a person has intercourse, falam yumni. Then he did not ejaculate, he did not let out money. Qala Uthman Uthman said, Yatawaddao That person will only perform wudu' كَمَا يَتَوَضَّأُ Like he performs wudu' for salah وَيَغْسِلُ دكراه. And he will just wash his private part In other words, if a person has intercourse But there was no ejaculation Money was not emitted Then in that case, there will be no ghusl But only wudu' Qala Usman, Usman said, min I heard this from the Messenger of Allah, Sallallahu Zayd ibn Khalid, he said, فسألتُ عن so I asked about this from who? was Zubair Wa Talha, Wa Ubay ibn Ka'b. I asked all of these companions about this matter, radiAllahu anhum, فأمروه بذلك. So they commanded the same. Meaning that in this case, a person only has to do wudu and not do ghusl. Next hadith is also similar, and I will explain the two together, because some of you might find this very shocking and surprising. حدثنا إزحاق قال أخبرنا النضر قال أخبرنا شعبة عن الحكم عند أبي صالح عن أبي سعيد الخدري أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم أرسل إلى رجل The Prophet sent for a man from the Ansar, meaning he called him. He sent somebody to call him. فجأة so that man came. وَرَأْسُهُ And his head يَقْطُرُ It was dripping with water. What does that mean? He had just taken a bath. And he didn't even get time to dry himself off properly. فَقَالَ صَلَى اللَّهُ عليه وسلم, So the Prophet said to him, لَعَلَّنَا Perhaps we أَعْجَلْنَاكَ Perhaps we caused you to hurry. Meaning we asked you to come too quickly. We disturbed you. فَقَالَ So that man very honestly he said نعم, Yes. Because when he came, while his head was dripping, it meant that he was perhaps having intercourse, and before he came to the Prophet Sallallahu he quickly bathed and he rushed through it, and he came to the Prophet So he said, Naum, اللَّهِ, صلى الله عليه وسلم, So he replied that, إِذا Ujilta When you are made to hurry, when you're made to rush, أَوْ قُحِطت, or you are, you can say, deprived, قُحِطتَة From قاف قَحط is Famine, okay, when there is no rain, when um, rain or rizq is kept away from a person. So quhitta, meaning you were made to withdraw. You were made to withdraw, meaning you were not able to complete the intercourse. You were made to withdraw before ejaculation. Fa'alayka wudu then upon you is only wudu. Then you don't need to perform the bath. Taba'ahu wahbun. قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا قَالَ أَبُو عَبْدِ اللَّهُ وَلَمْ يَقُلْ غُنْدَرُ وَيَحْيَى عَنْ شُعْبَةَ It's just something about the chain. Both of these ahadith, they show that in the case where the intercourse was not completed, then a person does not need to perform ghusl, but wudu is sufficient. However, remember that this ruling is mansukh What does it mean? It is abrogated. At the beginning, this is the instruction that the Prophet وسلم gave to the people. At the beginning But later on He gave a very clear instruction That إِذَا جَلَسَ بَيْنَ شُعْبِهَا الْأَرْبَعِ ثُمَّ جَهَدَهَا فَقَدُ وَجَبَ الْغُسْلِ When a man has intercourse with his wife Then غُسْل becomes wajib On both the man and the woman And in the riwayah of Muslim Sahih Muslim illam يُنزِل The words are there And that even if he does not Ejaculate Even then A person has to do غُسْل Now why would Imam Bukhari quote these ahadiths? There are two reasons. First of all, this is like an ilmi amana. An amana on him. He had this knowledge. These are authentic ahadith. It teaches us that initially the command was different and later on it was abrogated. Okay. And that is also important for us to know because Allah mentions nasr in the Quran. Okay. And we know that whenever there's a command comes later, the new command is always better. So it shows that this new command was better. Right? Ghusl is better than just wudu. And secondly, this also shows that a person will do wudu. If you look at that context in particular, when ghusl was not required, only wudu was required. When a person is doing wudu, why is he doing wudu? Why is he doing wudu? Because the wudu has been nullified. How was it nullified? How was it nullified? What is it that invalidated the wudu? The excretion of madhi. The excretion of madhi That is naturally many times before the excretion of money. So this further proves that excretion of anything from the private parts, whether a lot or a little, it will nullify the wudu. Whether it is urine or it is madhi or it is money, it will nullify the wudu. So that is the summary. And one more point. Why is it that the private part had to be washed off? Because of the madhi. Okay, because that is unclean. Bab Arrajuli, A person sahibahu, He helps perform wudu to who? To his companion. Meaning, can a person help another perform wudu? That he is pouring the water for him and he is performing wudu? Is it okay to do that? Or does a person have to pour wudu himself every for every action? No. Somebody can help him. Because the thing is that wudu is an entire fair It's a complete action. Wudu doesn't just mean that you're making your parts of body wet, but that you're washing. That means that you're pouring water on your arm, on your hands, on your face, on your feet. So if somebody is doing half of the job for you, which is that they're pouring the water on you, or let's say you're too sick to move, or you're unable to reach your feet, so can somebody else make sure that the water reaches between your toes by putting their fingers in or washing the back of your foot? Can they do that for you? Or do you have to do everything yourself? Somebody can assist you in this process because many times it happens that you may be sick, you may be unable to move. So can somebody help you a little bit at least? Yes. Or it might be difficult for you to pour water on yourself. You're not used to taking water from a bucket. All you know is how to do wudu from a tap. So in that case, can somebody help you? Yes, they can. There's no harm in this. حدثني محمد بن سلام قال أخبرنا يزيد بن هارون عن يحيى عن موسى بن عقبة عن كُرَيْبٍ مولى بن عباس عن أسامة بن زيد أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم لما أفاد من عرفة when he returned from Arafah ثم من حيث الناس. so at حج when the prophet sallallahu was returning from Arafah he turned aside remember عدل. To turn aside as well, he turned aside ila to a gorge, to a pathway, you know, to a mountain path. Okay, so basically he went onto a side, away from the people. حاجته, then he fulfilled his need, meaning he answered the call of nature. Qala Usama ibn Zaid. Usama ibn Zaid. Who is he? Huh? Habib ibn al-Habib. He was the son of Zayd anhu, who was the adopted son of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam before the laws came concerning adoption, right? So Zayd radhullahu himself, he was beloved to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and his son Usama, he was also very beloved to him. So you can think of him as the grandson of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Okay? So qala أُسَامَةُ ibn Zaydin, فَجَعَلْتُ so I began alayhi. I began pouring water on him. I began pouring water on him. Why? So that he could, وَيَتَوَضَّعُ He could perform wudu. فَقُلْتُ So I said, Ya رَسُولَ O Messenger of Allah, أَتُصَلِّ Are you going to pray now? فَقَالَ So he said, المُصَلَّ أَمَامَكُ The musalla The place of prayer is ahead. Not here. We're not going to pray here. Instead, we're going to pray somewhere else. And where is that? At muzdalifa So in this hadith, what do we see? That Usama ibn Zayd, he was pouring the water on the Prophet ﷺ so that he could perform wudu. So perhaps he told him, okay, pour it on my elbow, okay, pour it on my feet now, right? So he was pouring the water for him. Next hadith. (laughs) Hadithna Amr ibn Alayyin qala hadithna Abdul Wahhabi qala simi'atu Yahya ibn Sa'id qala akhbarani Sa'ad ibn Ibrahim anna naafi'a ibn Jubayr ibn Mut'imin akhbarahu أَنَّهُ سَمِعَ عُرْوَةَ إِبْنَ الْمَغِيرَةِ إِبْنِ شعبة, يحدث, He was narrating hadith from who? مِنَ الْعَنِلْ From Al بن ibn مغيرة mughira Ibn رضي الله عنه أَنَّهُ That he كان مع رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم في سفرن. He was with the messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم in a journey وَأَنَّهُ And that indeed he ذهب لحاجة له That he went for a need of his وَأَنَّ مغيرة Meaning the Prophet ﷺ went to answer the call of nature. And that مغيرة Ja'ala, he began يصب الماء عليه. He was pouring the water on him. وهو يتوضع. While he was performing wudu. So in one hadith we see Usama ibn Zaid. And another hadith we see Murira ibn Sharba. One is a child and the other is a much older person. So he washed his face, وَيَدَيْهِ And both his hands, And he wiped his head, And he wiped over his leather socks. So Murira was pouring the water and the Prophet was performing wudu' from that. By the way, is there any benefit in helping anybody in doing their wudu'? What do you get out of it? Hm? What reward? if you are ever in this position that you have to help somebody perform wudu, you know, a person might wonder that, oh, my time is being used up over here. Why do I have to serve them in this way? I'm not their servant. Right? Sometimes such thoughts do come to our mind. You know, shaitan, he he stops us from doing these good deeds. You know, sometimes we can help our relatives, our elders, people in our own family who are unwell, who are sick. But we have different reasons, so I don't want them to be dependent on me. I don't want them to, you know, treat me differently now. I don't want to show that I am less than them. That I'm pouring water for them and they're doing wudu. Is there any benefit? When we help somebody, what's the benefit? What do we get out of it? Okay? Man alillah rafa'ahullah? Yes? Okay, because you are helping somebody doing good. And when you assist someone in doing good, it is as though you are doing it yourself. khair إِلَى Right? And a person who supports, who helps in mujahid in the way of Allah, it's as though he is himself participating in that noble act. So when you're helping somebody perform wudu, then you get reward as well. One, for helping them. And secondly, for their salat that they pray with that wudu. That Allah helps a servant As long as a servant is helping his brother So when we're helping someone Allah will also help us And you know sometimes You are in a situation where you need Just a little bit of help And that could make things so much easier for you It happens with us That you just want somebody to for example Hold your baby for just a few minutes So that you can just put your hijab on sometimes right? Or just use the washroom quickly or, Or finish your food Sometimes you're in need of these little, little things as well. But if you are helping others, then Allah will send help for you. Allah will send help for you. But you have to be of help to others first. Sometimes we have a lot of expectations from people. They don't do this for me. They don't do that for me. Look at my condition. Look at my state. They don't care for me. We have to constantly ask people. We have to beg before them. But when we help others, others will help us too. You know, some people when they are sick... Others are more than willing to help them. They have no problem. They serve them happily, willingly. And there are others who when they're sick, they become a burden on others. So if we want to be at that level where if we are in need, others are more than willing to help us, then we have to do something on our part too first. That when we are healthy, when we are capable, when we have that strength, we are of use to others. Then when we are of use to others, people will have no problem in taking care of us. That this does not mean that when we are helping somebody, we should do it with the intention or with the expectation that this person should give us something back. No. But that you expect from Allah. إِذَا سَأَلْتَ الله. So expect from Allah, not from that person, not from that individual whom you're helping. And Allah will send help from where you cannot even imagine. In the Quran, this is mentioned that لَا نُرِيدُ مِنكُمْ جَزَاءً وَلَا شُكُورًا we are feeding you for the face of Allah, for the pleasure of Allah. We don't even want any gratitude from you. We don't want anything from you. We only want from Allah. Help one another over الْبِرْ uh, The righteous deeds. So If somebody needs your help in doing something good, then help them. بَعْدَ الْحَدَثِ وَغَيْرِهِ Reciting the Qur'an after Hadas and غيره Meaning in other situations as well If a person is not in the state of wudu In other words, can he recite the Qur'an? Is it permissible to read Qur'an without wudu? Is it? Yes, no, maybe I heard this and I also heard that We're in confusion, we don't know what to do So let's get some shah صَدْر وَقَالَ مُنْصُورٌ عَنْ إِبْرَاهِيمِ Mansoor from Ibrahim, he said, لا بأس بالقراءة. There is no harm in the recitation of the Quran. في الحمام, In the hammam. What is hammam? Not washroom. It's the place of washing oneself. Okay. Back in the day, they had, you can say, public baths. So there were like stalls or whatever where people could just go and shower. You know, sometimes if you go to a public pool, there are stalls where you can change, or there are showers. So, shower stalls, you can say, where you had some privacy, obviously to cover your aura. In other places, there was absolutely no privacy, but in Islamic areas, wherever the public baths were, you can think of it like a, a wudu area. Okay, a wudu area where people are washing themselves. They're doing wudu, they're washing themselves. You know, like the people could even wash their hair over there. And when it comes to washing, you know, their private parts, whatever, they would go off to the side, you know, covering themselves. So in the hammam, not the place of using the washroom, okay, the hammam, the place of washing. There's no harm in reciting Quran over there. So let's say you are in the wudu area. The washrooms are there, the wudu area is there, and there are toilet stalls, but there is a door that's separating the area of the toilet from the wudu area. Can you recite Quran over there? Yes, you can. So for example, your friend happens to come and you're discussing the lesson. So you happen to mention an ayah or a part of an ayah or something from the Quran. Can you do that? Yes, you can. There is no harm. Because A, you're not naked completely and B, the thing is that that area is clean. There is no najasa over there. If there is any najasa, that's coming off from the hands of the people or whatever. It's going down the drain immediately. So many times people are, you know, in confusion. Can you say salam to somebody in the wudu area or can you not say salam? You can because it's not the toilet area. In the toilets, that's a different case because the person is there. You know, he's not covered. He's using the washroom. That's not appropriate. But outside of that, it's completely fine. Same thing. You could even change a baby's diaper on your bed. You could even change a baby's diaper on the floor, okay, of your bedroom. You could do that in the washroom. You could do that, but there's no harm. But obviously, you are, you know, when when there's filth on your hands or what, then it's best not to. But there's no harm in that particular area. So لا بأس بالقراءة في الحمام وبكتابة الرسالة على غير وُضُوءٍ The reason why Imam Bukhari is mentioning this statement is not to prove that it's okay to recite Quran in the hammam, but to prove the second point. This is the evidence that وبكتابة الرسالة and with writing risala, a letter. Allahidi wudu without wudu. Meaning there is no harm in writing a letter without wudu. You're like, yeah, of course. Because what's the proper etiquette of writing a letter? That you begin with? Wa'annahu? Bismillahir Rahman Rahim. Right? And when the Prophet when he had letters written, there were verses of the Quran mentioned in that as well. So Likewise if you are writing an email, a letter, you write bismillahir Rahman Rahim, or you write Alhamdulillah, right? Alla rasulullah or you happen to quote a verse or mention an ayah or a passage of the Quran, there is no harm if you write it without Wudu. So likewise if you're sitting in the class and you're writing down your notes and you're writing verses of the Quran, can you do that without Wudu? Can you do that without Wudu? Yes. So if you are, if you're allowed to write, then are you not allowed to read? Come on, if you're allowed to write, are you not allowed to read? Yes, you are. And many times when you're writing, you're also reciting at the same time. Whatever you're typing, you're reading, you're saying it out loud at the same time. Right? So there is no harm in doing this. And also if you think about it, if you are writing something, I mean, it's coming out of your hand. You know you're holding the pen You're touching that paper So if you're allowed to recite it You're allowed to read it Can you not touch it then? It doesn't make a difference It's the same thing Whether you are reciting Writing or touching Because you're still having physical contact And if you say that touching is not allowed Then there has to be some evidence And in general things are allowed Unless proven otherwise The evidences that are used To prove that Touching the Mus'haf is not allowed without wudu. They're not that strong. One evidence is taken from the Qur'an, which is the verse, لا illa إلا المطهرون. And all of you have studied in the tafsir of that ayah that mutahharun over there does not refer to the human beings. It refers to who? The angels. Because it's talking about the Qur'an, which is in al Mahfuz. No human can reach there. And even otherwise, if you say that no, mutahharun refers to human beings, then remember the hadith, which says that a believer is always tahir. Whether he is in the state of janaba, or she is menstruating, or she has wudu, or he does not have wudu. A believer is tahir. Okay, a believer is clean. So, if it is said that no, you cannot touch the mushaf even without wudu, then there has to be an evidence. There is a book by Muhammad al-Jibali on the rules concerning menstruation. And it's a very good book that is very detailed on every matter that you can think of relating to menstruation, whether it is reciting the Qur'an or it is touching the Mus'haf or what, everything is mentioned in it. I recommend that every single one of you reads that book, inshallah. Because it's very important to be aware of this. Because uh, alhamdulillah, Allah has given us that this uh, opportunity that we are always either reading the Qur'an or studying the Qur'an or writing the Qur'an, touching the Mus'haf, touching the Juz. So whatever we are doing, we should do it without guilt in our heart without any doubt and confusion remember that when the companions when they remained in doubt concerning what was allowed and what was not allowed in the night of the fast allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said anna kun kuntum anfusakum right you were doing khiana you weren't sure but you were still doing it so what does it mean that we have to come out of confusion and we have to be sure so whatever we believe in more firmly, whatever makes more sense to us. Whatever you do, do it without. Okay, When it comes to fasting, we are to fast without doubt. Meaning, don't say that, oh, maybe the month has begun, and maybe it has not begun. Allah knows, I'm going to fast anyway. No, we cannot fast the fast of doubt. It has to be done with sharh sadr. وَقَالَ حمد And Hamad said, an Ibrahima from Ibrahim إن كان عليهم إزار فسلم وإلا فلا تسلم that if the people in the hammam if there is an إزار on them, meaning they're wearing a waist wrapper there is some garment covering their waist down okay their awrah, then you say salam to them and if they're not covered then you don't say salam to them so obviously when a person would be in the hammam they've come to wash themselves they are covered generally people won't have wudu' Okay, Because typically people take a bath When they have used the washroom So basically they're not in the state of wudu So if they are not in the state of wudu He's saying that Say salam to them But you have to make it easy For the other person as well So if they're covered Then you say salam So that they can actually Give you the response But if they're not covered They're in the toilet stall And you see them walking in Then don't say assalamu or No They're using the washroom They're not covered They need some privacy Don't embarrass them Don't put them into hardship. Don't say salam to them. When they are, you know, covered, when they're done, they're out of the washroom, then you greet them. Likewise, many times it happens that a person just walks out of the toilet and immediately, you know, people start talking to them. I mean, let them at least wash their hands, freshen up a little bit and then greet them. So the reason why this has been mentioned is to prove that it is okay to say salam to a person who is not in the state of wudu. And if that is permissible, then reciting the Quran is also permissible. (laughs) حَدَّثْنَا إسماعيل قَالَ حَدَّثَنِي مَانِكَ عَنْ مَخْرَمَةَ بْنِ سُلَيْمَانِ This hadith we have studied before. It's quite long. I'd like to complete this bab. So I'm not going to translate every word of it. We have studied it several times. I'm just going to translate the new words. Okay. As you read this hadith, you will remember which hadith it is. عَنْ كُرَيْبٍ ابن بْنِ عَبَّاسِ أَنَّ عَبْدَ اللَّهِ بْنِ عَبَّاسِ أَخْبَرَهُ أَنَّهُ وَهِيَ خَالَتُهُ I'll just summarize this. That Ibn Abbas ﷺ, once he spent the night in the house of Maymuna his aunt, the wife of the Prophet ﷺ, فَاتَّجَعْتُ فِي عَرْضِ الْوِسَادَةِ So I lied down on the عَرْضِ of the wisada, the wisada, the mattress, the pillow. So he lied across it, meaning the width. okay, The width of it, he lied in that direction, across it. وَاتَّجَعَ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ وَأَهْلُهُ فِي طُولِهَا and the Prophet Sallallahu and his wife, they lied down in its length. So it wasn't like three people sleeping in a row, no. The Prophet Sallallahu and his wife, they were sleeping in the length of the wisada and Ibn Abbas was lying down across. Perpendicular, okay. So he was lying down in that state, okay. So, وَطَجِعَ رسُول الله صلى الله wa وسلم وَأَهْلُهُ فِي طُولِهَ فَنَامَ رسُول الله صلى الله عليه حَتى إِذَا إِنْتَصَفَ اللَّيْلِ He slept until half of the night. Or a little before it or a little after. it. So it was almost half of the night that he slept until. Then استيقظ الله صلى الله عليه وسلم. He woke up. فجلس Then he sat. يَمْسَحُ النَّوْمَ عَنْ بِيَدِهِ He wiped the sleep off from his face with his hand. Meaning he was rubbing his eyes and his face, to wake up. ثُمَّ قَرَأَ Then he recited al Ayat The ten verses, الخَوَاتِم The last ones, من سُورَةِ Imran From Surah Ali Imran. The last ten verses of Surah Ali Imran, the Prophet recited when he was still sitting in bed. He recited them. ثُمَّ قَامَ إِلَى then he stood up and he went to what? a hanging bag of water then he performed wudu' from it and then he perfected his wudu' then he stood up praying then I also stood up I did exactly what he did meaning he recited the verses he went and did wudu, and then he went and stood next to the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم فَوَضَعَ على رأسي. Then he put his right hand on my head وَأَخَذَ Yumna And he took my right ear يفتلوها, And he dragged it, meaning he moved me towards the right side. Because he came and he stood on the left side of the Prophet صلى الله عليه So the Prophet صلى الله عليه took his right ear, okay, because that was closer to him, and then he moved him to his right side He prayed 2 And then 2 4 And then 2 6 And then 2 8 And then two, ten, And then 2 more 12 12 rak'at He prayed how? In sets of 2 Meaning in, after every 2 He Did salam Summa awtara And then he Did witr and then he reclined, meaning he slept again, until the Mu'addin came to him. Then he stood up, then he prayed two light, then he left and he performed the fajr salah. There are two things that I want you to notice over here. First, he recited the Qur'an without wudu. On waking up after long and heavy sleep, he recited Qur'an without wudu. If it was necessary to have wudu for reciting Qur'an, he would have done it before. He would have done it before. But because it's not necessary, this is why after finishing his recitation, he got up, he performed wudu, and then he performed the tahajjud salah. So this shows that it's completely permissible to recite Qur'an without wudu. And the Prophet used to remember Allah in every state. Secondly, that when he finished his tahajjud salah, he slept again, and then after that he got up, he prayed to rakah, and over there it's not mentioned that he did wudu again. Why? Because the sleep was light. It was short, it was light. So according to many scholars, and it seems to be the stronger opinion, that if a person has slept a light sleep for just a few minutes, okay, just dozed off for a few minutes, then that does not nullify wudu. So sleep in itself is not naqidul wudu. It's when a person does not know what might have happened when he was sleeping due to heavy sleep, long sleep, that is when the wudu is broken. And this also shows to us the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, a very important sunnah that when he woke up, he would recite the last 10 verses of Surah Al-Imran. Should we memorize them? How about from next Friday, first 10 minutes of the class, we dedicate to this memorization. I'll find out inshallah if there's some recording available. And, uh, let's do this. Okay, because we keep thinking, yes, we're gonna do it, we're gonna do it, but it keeps getting deferred and deferred. Surah Al-Kahf, we end up memorizing because it's every Friday, right? Surah Al-Mulk, every night. Different surahs, you end up memorizing them, but this you have to take out time to memorize. Let's dedicate 10 minutes. Yes, it refers to the sunnah. The two light rakat, it refers to the sunnah of fajr. Because in the first rakat, it's قُلْ al kafirun And in the second one, it says قُلْ هُوَ Very light. This is tahajjud basically. That when a person wakes up in the night for tahajjud then before performing the tahajjud salah, reciting these verses. And sometimes it may happen with you that you wake up in the night, you know, you just woke up all of a sudden. You had a dream or something or the alarm went off or the baby was crying. So... When you're up in the night, then if you recite these verses, that is also the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. That by imposing this difficulty in ourselves that before reciting the Qur'an, you have to have wudu, we limit our recitation of the Qur'an. We end up not reciting at all then. Right? Because you have five minutes, you have ten minutes. You're waiting for somebody to come. Right? You're waiting for the baby to fall asleep or whatever. And in that time, you could actually review something that you have memorized or you're just sitting there, you might as well recite... And gain some reward. But if you say that, oh, I have to go do Wudu, and who's going to get up now? And I don't think I have that time. So, you'll miss that chance. When it comes to the menstrual periods, right, this coming. There's an entire chapter on this, right? So, inshallah, we will learn about the rulings in more detail. But there is a difference of opinion amongst the scholars, okay? Some say that, no, you cannot recite. And others say that you can. Because, the main reason preventing a woman from the recitation of the Qur'an would be lack of wudu, right? Lack of purification. But these evidences prove that you don't need wudu to recite the Qur'an. Okay, so it would be okay. And if a woman was not allowed to recite the Qur'an in her period, this is a major thing. I mean, this is not something small. At least there would be one report from the Sahabiyah, from the wives of the Prophet wasallam At least one that would mention because I was on my period, I was not reciting this not even a single mention direct or indirect that tells you that reciting the Qur'an in the menstruation is not allowed. There is not even one report on this matter. In fact, we know that Hafsa was the one who had the Mus'haf. She had the Mus'haf. She was a possessor of the original Mus'haf. Okay, Umar gave it to her to keep. Rasman borrowed from her so that he could... uh, you know, have it copied and distributed in the, in the Muslim empire. But we see that she was the possessor of it. Okay? And the wives of the Prophet Wasallam, what were they told? That, وَقَرْنَا fi بُيُوتِكُنْ Stay in your homes. And they were told, وَذْكُرْنَا Right? وَذْكُرْنَا That remember the ayat of Allah that are recited in your homes. So they were told to recite the Qur'an in their homes. And also the hikmah, the sayings of the Prophet Wasallam. they were told to study them, to remember them. So, I mean, there are evidences on the other side that hint that it is okay. And on the other side, there are no clear evidences to show that it's not allowed for a woman to recite. And some scholars have said that only in the state of uh, haja, meaning extreme need, a woman can recite the Qur'an. But I feel that a woman is, is extreme need of reward, is extreme need of being saved from the fitna of the qabr, for which she has to recite Suratul mulk every night. She is in need of having that light for the rest of the week for which she should recite Surah Al-Kahf on Friday. She is in need of being protected from the fitna of Dajjal for which she has to recite Surah kahf on Friday. When there is no threat of punishment, no prohibition, then we must not prohibit it. Skip it because it's not wajib. Sajda tilawah is not wajib. I mean, it's best if you do it, but if you're not able to, it's not like you're doing something haram. Can you not touch the Arabic? There is a difference of opinion about that as well. Some have not allowed it. Others have allowed it. Others have said that you may have a barrier in between. But once Aisha, she was told to bring something from the masjid. And she said that she was on her period. And the Prophet ﷺ said to her that the hayd is not in your hand. Meaning your hand is clean. So you may go, you may pick up up something that's clean. And if you say that there has to be a barrier in between, again, there has to be some evidence for that. But if you don't feel comfortable, There's no harm. Have a barrier. Don't touch the text. Don't touch the mus'haf directly. You want to be safe, you don't feel comfortable, go ahead. But don't say that it is haram to touch the text of the Quran. Okay, because again, if it's coming out of your fingers, you're writing it, you're going to end up touching it. And at that time, tell me which women had gloves. I mean, there was no concept of wearing gloves at that time. They had long shawls with which they would cover their bodies. So, okay, you can have a, a fabric or you know, a piece of tissue or something like that under your hand, but inevitably you are going to end up touching the text when you're writing it. Whether it is you're revising or you are reflecting, yeah, it's fine. You have a habit of reciting Surah Al-Mulk at night, reciting Surah al on Friday. There's no harm in that. Because once you stop for a week, for ten days, you lose the habit. And this reward is guaranteed for who? For the one who recites here and there? No, it's a continuous habit, right? Sometimes you can recite an entire juz in 45 minutes in an hour. So imagine for an entire week you're not reciting or a little more or less than it does have an effect on. In 10 days of the hijjah in the month of Ramadan, you could really do a lot. But anyway, remember that there is a difference of opinion and you should respect, have respect for those who may differ from you. And don't look down on them, even if it's your own sister, your own brother or your own friend your own colleague, don't look down on the other person. But acknowledge this difference, accept it, and do what you are comfortable with. Okay? And you don't have to impose it on others either. Subhanakallahum wa bihamdika nashhadu wa la ilaha illa anta, nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayka. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu.